0: The intro song, Fishing for Pets, is written and composed by Alan Goldscher from his latest release, Live at the Lakeview Lounge. Thank you for joining the podcast. Today's guest is Eric Witchen, the CEO of New Street. We go everywhere in this episode, starting with NFTs, Crypto Talk, Pokemon, and other collectibles like baseball cards and wine. Eric is a data guru and is implementing his skills to put New Street on the front end of becoming a marketplace aggregator. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Eric. All right, guys. So thanks for joining me on the podcast. We have a great guest today. Apparently, we're going to talk NFTs today with uh, Eric. Uh, He's the CEO of New Street. Uh, Eric, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, very, very much my pleasure. Yeah,
0: dude. So I mean, you mentioned that you are a big uh, NFT collector um, before we came on and uh, that that piqued my interest. And you You said you were collecting baseball cards as well. But I guess let's begin like from the beginning or not or just... Kind of how you got into being a collector and how that's kind of guided you now that that you are uh, you know leading New Street and all the things that you're doing over there.
1: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, that's probably the most fundamental thing I am as a collector. I think that, 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 that through my life, it's the most common thread. Started out in the 80s as a baseball card collector, as every 80s kid in the U.S. did. You know, it started collecting cards, but... You know that evolved when I was actually uh, my first job on Wall Street to essentially like the you know collecting the watches and the wine and art and stuff that's more like centric to that world. You know, but 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 essentially I love to research things. So you know, for example, just to highlight my my uh, collector. Uh, the ends of the world that I'll go to. I don't drink alcohol, but I'm one of the biggest uh, wine collectors I know because I just get really fascinated in understanding these things, where they come from, uh, what their historical significance is, and also when you look at collecting and investing and gambling, and it's like it's all so similar. In the last couple of years, as you mentioned, have been collecting NFTs. I'm also a blockchain technologist, so I kind of saw these things coming around um, actually from a completely different viewpoint. I was working on a food like supply chain project that used NFT technology to track from the, you know, the cow to the burger type of thing. And then they started putting JPEGs in the NFTs. I was like, holy crap, this changes everything. You know, so I was, I was pretty early collecting NFTs. Um, I actually wasn't really early on things like CryptoPunks, but I got in there eventually. Um, I started out my NFT collecting for primarily on SuperRare. So SuperRare is a platform for like fine digital art. You know, I was one of the early collectors on that. Um, I acquired a lot of really interesting pieces you know, and it just sort of spiraled from there. Uh, eventually, found CryptoPunks. I own a few of them. I was uh, very early on the artifact, um, you know, train. I actually collected their first NFT ever, so I own the Cyber Sneaker. And uh, you know, I've maintained friendship with the team. So I've collected a lot of things that they have. I'm a big clone holder, a uh, big believer in what they're doing in that ecosystem. But yeah, that's pretty much me as a collector. And then in my professional career, um, I run New Street. And New Street is essentially a media and data company, sort of like Bloomberg is to the financial markets. Uh, New Street is to the uh, collectibles uh, markets. And so, you know, ultimately trying to make it easier for collectors to find where they can buy certain items. You know, so you'll be able to come to New Street and you'll be able to see where I can buy a certain card or sneaker or NFT or something like that across marketplaces. And so just trying to simplify things for the user journey. That's ultimately near and dear to my heart, obviously.
0: Yeah. So, so much to unpack there. Let's go back to like the NFTs, right? Like, you know, so you had an early exposure to it. It was kind of, you, you talk about the blockchain and it was being used for a practical purpose, right? Tracking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, NFTs are technology vehicles. I see them truly as that. I mean, it could hold media, it could hold code. Um, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I'm talking about people in my, in my private life, uh, Using NFT technology to govern free on board shipping loans are for international, you know, shipping. It's just like, this stuff is is such a technology vehicle. It is truly going to rebuild the internet. I mean, that's like fundamentally true in my heart. Um, understanding what I do about finance and the internet and technology, I truly think it will, you know? So yeah, I started out very much like from a technology standpoint. And then when you see a technology like NFTs evolve and then you see people start to do creative things around them. I mean, geez, I mean, now you've got uh, The initial building blocks of the internet combined with uh, digital renaissance. It's like, you know, you can't, in my opinion, and again, this is not financial advice or anything of the sort, but uh, I'm a big believer in NFTs. Things got overheated, but I mean, every nascent market does, right?
0: Yeah. But to, to hear like your enthusiasm with it, right? Like you see that a lot of people have been in the space and maybe now. You know, they're a little bit quieter or there's a lot of talk about how people are disappearing from the space. And I don't know if that's true or not. But I guess my question is, despite this downturn, right, and de- despite the fact that the JPEGs themselves, the NFTs, you know, that they can be so volatile with price. You think that these are still, they, they're viable, long term, you know, cultural culturally significant items to hold on to. I think certain ones are
1: and certain ones aren't. I mean, just like anything, right? There's going to be a lot of worthless JPEGs. I'm not going to lie. I mean, probably 95 plus percentage of the supply currently on the market is absolutely worthless. And that's a hard pill to swallow, right? But if you look at things like CryptoPunks, you know, Squiggles, things that are like the the OGs of OG um, items that truly represent an art form, you know, I think that those ones are here forever. Uh, I mean, you start to look into like Board Ape Yacht Club. I, I I think Got Club is great. I think that they have likely a long-term future. But then if you get beyond that, it's kind of like, well, what utility needs to be offered to this community in order to, to let it survive? And what does that cost? And then you start to look at how much is the cost to run a business. It's a lot. It's like, I want art. I don't want a business. I think that this latest downturn has been welcoming to me, to be honest with you, because there's just too much scams, too much fraud, people coming in thinking that they're going to make riches overnight, which just doesn't happen. And so it got overheated. It came crashing down. It's like the 99, 2000, 2001 internet situation. I truly fundamentally believe we're seeing a new internet being born
0: that's exciting and and it's being digitally represented right with art well yeah i mean
1: a digital representation i mean the, the whole point of this whole thing is that we've been taught since the internet was born uh because the way file systems essentially evolved um you know saving things on the computer copying pasting it's sort of just the way that the databases were chosen to, <laughs> to work right so we've, we've got it brained in our brain that things that are digital have no value now, that's because, like, when I copy and paste something, I don't necessarily know which is the original file. I can copy and paste it a thousand times and, and not necessarily know what the original file is. Now you inject blockchain technology and public ledger and minting and provenance. And for the first time in history, you have digital scarcity and true digital provenance. And that's everything. If, you, if people don't understand, if people come away with this conversation with everything, understand that, I mean, digital scarcity, digital provenance, you know, those things really matter and ultimately give digital things
0: value. And we've covered that, we've covered that, um, you know, provenance, uh, you know, digital scarcity, blockchain technology, all that stuff. And it's just a matter of it getting out there and really becoming more mainstream. Right. And in and, and some ways it's worked, in some ways it hasn't, right? In some ways you need to make it still easier, right? In some ways there's still barriers to access this technology. Well,
1: it's a pain in the ass in a lot of cases. I mean, I, I truly fundamentally believe that, you know, the success of this industry depends on you not knowing it exists. I mean, it will get eventually integrated into front ends of UIs and things that are important transactionally or otherwise will run through a blockchain when you click it. And things that aren't important transactionally won't. They'll be stored in a normal database. I mean, it's just that's success and, and ultimately UI UX is the next wave of adoption. I, in my personal life, I also am a GP semi-private um, venture firm. And so, you know, we see a lot of things that, that come across and, and, and one thing is clear is everybody is trying to solve this problem right now. You know, everybody's got this big bag of expensive JPEGs or cryptocurrency. And, you know, it, it, damn damn them if they're going to let them all go to zero. So
0: <laughs> that is a good point. They got a stake in the game, right?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of us that do. And a lot of us that have good experience that do that know how to build these things. So I, I think we'll be fine.
0: Well, let, let's connect that because you talked about, uh, you know, collecting cards and, and the user experience. And to me, you know, the, the holy grail still, despite, you know, their mistakes that they've made and kind of the, the, the lack of kind of momentum that they have right now. NBA Top Shot, you know that's something that to me exemplifies that, right? Like they got a cool product, you know. You don't know, you're not really transacting with with the blockchain there, right? You're just buying packs of.
1: Yeah, the the fatal flaw of NBA Top Shot is they didn't understand what, and I'm gonna get shit for this, but um, they didn't understand what they were doing. I mean, they, they built a UI UX on top of a blockchain that nobody fucking uses. And so it's one of those things that like, OK, great, you can solve the problems of Ethereum by going and building flow. And this is not an NBA Top Shot at all. This is actually CryptoKitties and this is, you know, previous to this, but essentially the inception for flow. Yes, you can build great UI UX on uh, on, a, on a blockchain that was created for those purposes. Of course, it's harder to work with things that are, are more in the public. But ultimately what happened was is NBA is Top Shot could be so much more successful than it is, in my opinion, if it were something that would be able to be bridged to Ethereum. Because when you think about it, right, it doesn't matter that, or, or, or that you could essentially, you know, use as a financial. I mean, these JPEGs are worthless without the attachment to other things that have value, <laughs> right? You can only swash around it in your own ecosystem for so long and it worked that way. And literally like by having sort of your own captive, uh, you know, ecosystem for, for NFTs, it kind of defeats the whole purpose of Web3 and what we're doing here. I mean, I just don't, I don't fundamentally understand it. Um, I don't think it was the right decision, but I mean, I think that, I think it harmed the long-term value of the project. And I don't know if it would, uh, and I'm sure that it's going to be a great value to buy at some point in time, but but I've not really been too high on uh, TopShot personally because of the fact that it doesn't exist on a blockchain that exists with the rest of my money and uh, the rest of my things.
0: So is, is that kind of what, uh what, Uh, maybe the Board Ape Yacht Club is trying to do when they had this other side uh, release, right? And then everything crashed. People were paying crazy amounts of money and gas fees.
1: So essentially, like like when you look at the other side drop and you look at Ethereum and you look at the way things were done, I think there was some intention personally, you know, by uh, Yuga's overlords to essentially try and foster a narrative that a new layer one needed to be created because other layer ones that had been invested in by these same entities were failing. I won't go into too much detail on that, but, but I, but that's a fundamental, I think uh, it's something that, that, that I could be careful to say, but, but anyway, so, I mean, I think that like dropping on Ethereum in the way that they dropped it, any fucking idiot in the world would have known how that would have gone. Right. Like, so first of all, the contract was a piece of shit. Yeah, it was written like crap. And it was not gas optimized. The whole plan was not gas optimized. They had more wallets uh, whitelisted than they pretended to have. They knew this was going to crush Ethereum and bring it to its knees. Uh, meanwhile, as a technologist, it frustrates the hell out of me. Because if you're going to use Ethereum, everybody fucking knows at this point, you should be using a layer two for this kind of a thing. you know. And, and so like maybe it might have been too early at the time to use a layer two like Arbitrum or Optimism or something like that. But I don't think it was. And them coming out after the drop and saying that maybe they need a new layer one to move off Ethereum, good luck. I mean, you move off Ethereum and, you know, (laughs) I don't know. It's it's the same thing sloshing around. You slosh around in your own ecosystem. You better be bridgeable. You know, it better play well with others. And it better not be a, a plan to co opt. Uh, the new world of finance, like, you know, the, the previous iteration was.
0: Can you go a little deeper into that? Because I'm, I'm more familiar with the layer ones, like talking about Ethereum, comfortable with that, like a layer two, what what, what is a layer two?
1: So layer one, you can think about as, a, as a, settle, a settlement layer. Like, so eventually in the future, people won't be interacting with Ethereum. Applications will be interacting with Ethereum. When you think about applications on Ethereum, there are applications that do specific things, and there are applications that essentially batch transactions and interact with Ethereum like you're interacting with Ethereum, but you're not. Like So, so in other words, it's, it's hard to get into too much of a, of a deep, I don't want to get into too much technical details because it gets really weird really quick. But essentially, you know, you think about the Ethereum settlement layer sort of in the middle. And then you think about on the outside, all the users of that of that layer. And so you've got OpenSea that's, that's using it. Um, but then you've got other users like Arbitrum. And Arbitrum is a layer two. Optimism is a layer two. And so essentially what that means is is you can interact with this sort of like you're interacting with Ethereum, and it shares the name, not the ENS name, but essentially the address for Ethereum. So there's there's not a lot of um, you know, risk like there is with sort of cross chain bridging, like you see with wormhole and solana and all that stuff. You know, but essentially layer twos, what they fundamentally do is they take all the transactions and they send them to Ethereum in a batch. So if I'm interacting with Arbitrum, you're interacting with Arbitrum, and 100,000 people are, are interacting with Arbitrum at once, they'll be batching transactions and essentially sending them and settling on, on Ethereum in a much more efficient way, which saves tons of gas. And so I can do Ethereum transactions on Arbitrum and otherwise for a couple cents. I can send hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars for, for, for pennies um, through those networks. So that's what a layer Layer two is essentially a scaling solution or an application that batches transactions to Ethereum. And that's how everything's eventually going to be.
0: You're basically saying that and just to take it back to this, you know, the other side drop, right? Like if the programmers really wanted to, they could have easily programmed it that way.
1: A layer two or, or a better, I mean, even the contract itself, when you look at how the contract was written, I mean, it wasn't written to save gas. I mean, it's just like you know, you see these things, and you're like, okay, well, you know, you probably you didn't have either a very good developer, um, you know, you know, writing the smart contract, or or you eventually, I don't know, you know, I don't want to point fingers, but essentially, the end result of it was that the, uh, the contract was not um, gas optimized, uh, the plan was not gas optimized, and essentially, you could have seen it coming a million miles away. You know I, I'm into my couple plots you know I, I had them I don't know, um, you know if I still have them or not I probably do you know but uh, but layer twos essentially help solve this problem. Layer twos might not have been as evolved maybe somebody that's so technologically deep as myself like would think that that you know would think yes it's a no-brainer and maybe the rest of the world wouldn't but truly you need to be consulting people that um, that do know what they're talking about and I think that for the billions and billions of dollars that you've raised, you've got those people. Who are you listening to and getting this advice from that is as bad as it is? Because, you know, I'm a phone call away, please. You know, me and a lot of other people in this industry would would happily um, would happily help or point you in the right direction. I, I'm not saying that I know everything about it, all this stuff at all. I don't, I'm not a solidity developer, hardcore. I, I know enough to be dangerous, but I know people that do. And so I rely on them. So anyway, uh, and then something interesting, there's a, there's a layer zero as well. Um, you know, we won't even go into that. But, you know, there, there's, uh, there's some interesting things with layer zeros that, uh, you know, when you think about it, um, Ethereum could be part of a layer zero. It kind of, you know, can, can be used by layer zero. And there's interesting things there. But in the current layer one, just to tie it in a bow, in the current layer one infras- ecosystem, it's hard to see Ethereum not being a winner in the next cycle, at least.
0: For sure! Wow, I, I had to take that side, and I kind of want to move on as well. But you know, to me, that drop really kind of uh, was the 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 symbol for the, kind of like the beginning of the of the end of the of the last you know wave. Yeah. Oh, it
1: definitely was. It was a top signal. It was the end of. Uh, it was a perfectly timed drop. You know, in terms of at least capturing revenue for 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 Yuga and the, and the um, other side and Animoca. But uh, but I just think it could have been done better. I, I just, it, you know, and, and all the negativity that I that I that I share here, it, 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 Yuga's done a lot of real good. Um, And Animo has done a lot of real good for this industry, you know, and I I can be critical about it um, from a standpoint of like, tough love. You know, I I think there's a lot of uh, things that are done there. Um, But at the end of the day, Monday morning quarterback is strong. You know, (laughs) I gotta, gotta give credit where credit's due. You know, this shit is hard.
0: They, yeah, they've they've absolutely executed something incredible, and and we it's hard to think, but it's less than a year and a half old, right? It's crazy to think about
1: them. Yeah, having having owned apes and mutants and land and all that stuff, and you know, it's just crazy to see to think about what it was like a year ago.
0: Yeah, it really is. You know, I want to go dive into the New Street a little bit. I kind of want to talk about. Do you have a phrase there or kind of a, a saying? Collect wisely, and I and I love that because it kind of the collect wisely. You know, it acknowledges the passion that collectors have. But it also that, that wisely kind of, you know, throws in that investment, right? And obviously all collectors want to collect what they're passionate about, but they also want to collect in a way that they know that they're not throwing their money away, right? Tell me what that embodies. Tell me what that means for New Street.
1: So true. I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, when you get, you get a lot of backlash as a collector, if you financialize these things, right? You know, it's like, oh my God, my precious Pokemon cards, you know, you don't, don't, these aren't stocks and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you, you need to know how much they're worth because you don't have unlimited money. Nobody does. And even if you're never going to sell these things, you still need to be smart about what you're buying because you have a finite amount of resources. And so, I mean, collect wisely basically means that. It's like, you know, you can hold on to these things forever. You can be passing them down to the next generation. You could be flipping them. It doesn't matter. Fundamentally, you still need to know what they're worth. um, And understanding what they're worth and providing the tools to the community that allow people to understand what what things are worth, um, essentially is best, is, is good for everybody. You know, more liquidity, you look at it in financial markets of the past. I worked at Bloomberg for a long time. I worked in other places. You know, you see how financial markets sort of evolved from nascent to uh, developed, and you always see the kicking and screaming that happens when it, when it comes to transparency. Oh, no, I'm going to lose my oligopoly or my monopoly. And what ends up happening is, once things are liberated and things are more fluid, if you're actually good at what you do, you'll make more money. Yeah. And so standing on your own credibility and merits, the things that should be happening, not essentially, you know, just uh, SEO tricks or whatnot, you know. And, and so, like one of the things, the reasons why I built uh, built New Street is because, um, you know, as a collector, I was going through and I was I was collecting baseball card. I was buying a Ricky Henderson rookie card because I never could afford it as a kid. And I went and I bought it. And I, and I, what I observed was that eBay is still there <laughs> very much in force. Um, <laughs> yes. eBay is still there. They do a little bit better job, but, but they don't really, they didn't, they didn't change a ton about the experience, but you know what? I found the card that I, that I wanted. And then I found another site. And then I found another site and I was like, oh, this is super interesting. I found Starstock at the time and my stuff. And I was just like, this is so cool. It's like, you know, I, I went and I bought the card on, I forget which marketplace. And then I found out the next day it was cheaper on, on yet another marketplace. And so I was like, basically built marketplace aggregation technology my entire career. Let's do it for things that I care about slightly more than stocks and bonds. So ultimately, like I approach it very much in the standpoint of like price aggregation, um, transparency and pricing, price history. Uh, valuations, you know what? What are these things worth? What have they been worth in the past? You know what's the media around them? Uh, you know, so, so essentially, when you when you go back to that Bloomberg analogy, that's what we're trying to build, and, and we have to be methodical about it, and we have to get there with various orders of operation that are slightly different to the way Bloomberg came to light. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the road, we are a media company, but a media aggregator as well, because we understand that collectors aren't just wanting to eat our dog food. They need to eat everybody's dog food. You need to do research outside of an insular system. And same thing with data. Uh, we will host other people's data valuations. Our valuations may be good, yours may be better. Come put it on our platform and let's see who who prefers what. I'm definitely gonna you know stand on the you know merits of 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 our of our business and our and our backgrounds. You know, but ultimately we approach this business very much Purely and genuinely from the demand side, from the collector side. I'm a collector. Everybody that works with me are collectors, and we see problems, and we ultimately just want to solve them. And I think that's really awesome to see what you guys do because I follow alts, and I think you guys are very much approaching this uh, same problem from a different angle. So I love it all, and I think that we've been taught as a as a kid that these these items should not have value, right? Like, or, or shouldn't have a lot of value, right? It's it's a, it's a and it's another thing that we'll we'll eventually look back on in in, in you know and laugh. But I'll turn this question to you, ratio. What's the number one grossing entertainment franchise of all time?
0: Entertainment franchise. So I'm going to have to say, from what I know, uh, Pokemon.
1: You're right. Like, you know, you would understand that. But like most people, it would blow their mind. Yeah. I mean, you know, but, but when you think about it, like I collected Pokemon cards as a kid. And my brother, five years young. My daughter has a seven-year-old daughter sitting in this next room, has a Pokemon backpack. She collects Pokemon cards. That's not my influence at all. Literally, her entire class, half of the class brought Pokemon cards in for show and tell. You show me a better investment in the world than, a, than, a, than a one of the original um, Charizard uh, cards. As long as you're smart about the supply, which is another thing you have to understand. There's two things. There's price, but there's how many of these things are there. Um, and if you can understand those two things, you're doing a pretty damn good job and a lot better than most people.
0: A couple of weeks ago, we had Jesus Garcia. He's a, he's a, a trading card game expert at Heritage Auctions. He's the resident uh, Pokemon expert. And I asked him, you know, how, how, how is the industry right now? Like, how is Pokemon right now? He's like, it's stronger than ever. And he's like, I got five six-year-old nephews, he's telling me, collecting Pokemon cards, doing more than I did when I was a kid. And it's not even my influence. They're just picking it up on their own. And I was like, wow, okay. Yeah, I am to say that.
1: It's a brilliant franchise from the beginning to now. They have just nailed it and knocked it out of the park and maintained, um, uh, you know, this genuineness. You know, I mean, it spans many generations. Yeah, I don't, I don't think. I mean, I'll, really, if I'm looking at buying something right now, and I'm looking, okay, I could buy some Amazon shares right now, or I could buy some Charizards. It's like I'm, I'm putting my money in Charizards because I don't know. I mean, I, like I'm pretty sure people are going to always go back to the my, my, my daughter one day when she's killing it in life and she has a ton of money. You know, and she's she's running her own companies and stuff like that. She's probably going to look back at my 1999 PSA 10 Charizard card. And she's gonna want it.
0: <laughs> want that.
1: <laughs> yes. that's the whole.
0: That's like the holy grail, man.
1: Yeah, I got a couple, not a PSA tens, but but I have a nine and a half BGS, um, PSA ten. I also I'm a very big collector of the '96 Japanese uh, base set. I'm trying to I'm trying to amass a, a PSA ten uh, set of that. You know, so I was actually we actually did a, a charity event last summer with uh, Steve Aoki and uh gary king pokemon you know so we have a podcast actually newstreet.com podcasters One, it's a couple episodes back with gary king pokemon okay one of the most fascinating people i met him in october and he just is pokemon lives in and breathes it hasn't uh, you know collected it invested in it knows everything about it he's like a historian i mean truly like it, and there's other person you mentioned it's like these these people are like historians it's like so back to the thing we're taught that we these things shouldn't have value these things are you know fleeting and and. You know, whatever it's like. Okay, cool. <laughs> Tell me another story. <laughs> Why is gold worth anything?
0: <laughs> you know, you still believe strongly in this in, in these you know alternative assets because the way the way right now that they are being uh, consumed, I guess, by retail investors anyway, right? And they're great at sites like like you know Rally, and you have all these other uh, you know fractional platforms. It's a, a way to kind of get some exposure to uh, these assets. But at the same time, you know, they've come down just like every other and on our end, we see that like they get, they've come down hard and some of them have come down really hard and people, you know, kind of forgot like this, this was an investment, you know, there was nothing guaranteed here and they're kind of upset, you know, not upset, but kind of wondering what is the future of this all? And it, should I really be putting my money into, you know, this hundred thousand dollar bottle of wine or, or whatever? I'm wondering, will the industry outlast whatever it is that's, you know, that we're in the middle of, and that might come? hundred
1: percent. Yes. I think that a lot of people make mistakes on and I, I, I go back to like my art collecting mentality. You have to buy the best. Mm-hmm. You have to buy the best. And you have to understand how many other people could own the same thing that you have. Truly scarcity matters. You need to look at populations. You need to look at how many things are above. You know, you can't buy something that's a population of 10,000 and expect it to retain value. I mean, you just can't do that. So in the card space, like you, so you need to buy the best of the best you know, when you do and, and make be very mindful of population supplies, because some people control populations and even uh, big institutional buyers in this space do that. So you need to be very careful. But ultimately, when you think about it, you're buying history, you're buying something that like, like a Michael Jordan rookie card. I mean, okay, Nike, every Jordan brand, I mean, every like everything that's come from that, you know, even Space Jam, for God's sakes, I mean, everything like, like, there's all kinds of things have come from this that, like, it literally started there. <laughs> and so I don't watch a lot of basketball. I don't watch a lot of football, but I sure as shit do collect culturally relevant things. So like, you know, for example, my thesis on Colin Kaepernick cards, there's nobody more culturally relevant, you know, that maybe wasn't the most celebrated football player, but, you know, I probably own every single one of his iterations of rookie cards. I look at things from a cultural standpoint a cultural value uh, long-term, less so the moment than more so the long-term. Think about what that moment meant and what that moment means to people what the scarcity is. And ultimately, if you're thinking about it that way, then you, I don't think you can go
0: wrong. I love this, man. So like your thesis is that, you know, that Colin Kaepernick and, you know, him kneeling, regardless of what people think, him kneeling during, during the, you know, the, the national anthem, kind of is, to us, it's kind of like similar to maybe say like a John Carlos, right? When he put up his fist.
1: That is exactly true. And he's still doing it. He's still active. He's an activist. Um, I mean, it's just like, you know what he's done. His impact on the world is a lot bigger <laughs> than football. And to be honest with you, Michael Jordan's is too. And that's why we collect it. We don't collect it because we we, we do collect it because you're a badass basketball player, right? Of course. But it's more than that. Like it's more than the sport. A lot more than the sport. It has to be because there's not many people that watch the sport when you look at it. Cultural artifacts is really what I think I I really um, uh, focus on um, across all things. And you mentioned wine. It's the same thing. I mean, I'm a wine collector as well. And but I'm not buying, you know, um, second tier Bordeaux. You know, if I, if I can't afford the, you know, the, the top of the top, you know, I'm not buying it because it's not, it, there's no, there's no point. Um, you know, when you're buying a bottle of wine, you want to be sitting there 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now at the table, sitting around and thinking about how many other people could be ordering the same bottle of wine right now. Right. And, and if your answer is, you know, not many, then it's probably going to go up. People pay for experiences, they pay for culture, but only if
0: it's scarce. And to be clear, you're talking about investing, like if you're a collector, you know, you can buy whatever you want, right? But if, if you're talking about that, the investment side of it, right? No, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the same. I mean,
1: ultimately, like I'm a long-term investor. I'm a, I'm a collector, long-term investor. I love these things. And shit, when you, you tell me, you know, I got to sell my wine collection one day, I'm going to be sad, but you got to look at all this stuff through a very much a sophisticated investment lens. Even if you're never going to sell it again, back to like the whole point is like, you know, my thesis, I start with a thesis, right? Um, the Colin Kaepernick thesis, uh, this was several years ago. Um, and then I, you know, then I get into the math and the, and the, and the numbers and I get into the data and I start to look across marketplace. I look at all the population reports. I aggregate them. I, um, look at all the pricing. I look at the history, you know, I look at everything and then I put it all together in my head and I sort of make a, make a decision. But when I'm buying these cards, I'm not going out and buying the tops, Chrome unnumbered rookie card that is not worth money. It, It won't be worth money in the future. There's thousands of those. You have to buy. This is a one of twenty five signed prime autograph. Like it's not. There's only twenty five people in the world that can potentially have the same card. You got to understand that all these companies are trying to sell you shit, <laughs> right? And 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 if you look at it from that side and and start to protect yourself a little bit, not not things are as cool and interesting and as scarce as these companies would let you believe. You got to do your own diligence.
0: Great point. I kind of I kind of want to talk a little bit more about and, and you talk about aggregating data. You, right now you kind of have a, um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm not correct with the details, APIs, right, uh, available uh, for beta testing on, on your site. Could you talk about that? Uh, what, what are you developing and, and, and how can people come up? Yeah, so
1: we want people to be able to just build cool shit, all right? Like ultimately, like I like building stuff. I'm a builder. Um, give me data. I'll figure out something to do with it. And that's kind of what we're doing there. I mean, we ultimately are going to give people the ability to Pull freely, you know, a, a set of uh, API endpoints, uh, you know, that you won't be able to like pull all of our data at once, and we'll have to limit because you know it costs money for us as as things get communicated. But ultimately, we want you to be able to build things on top of our solutions. You know, and, and so a couple just random ideas of people that I know that are going to be building things. Um, you know, there's a there's a NFT photography, you know, uh, platform that's uh, being built. That's interested in in sort of using our our data to plumb in some some things from the from the outside of their their particular world into their world. But then there's also like, you know, some people that are doing things that are more like back end, like. You know, you're, you're, you're doing valuations or stuff and, and, and such. Uh, you know, you want to understand what the pricing of this object is across the Internet systematically and do some things with it. You know, basically, it, it's the first version of something that will become more sophisticated, much more sophisticated over time. Um, but we ultimately want our users to drive that sophistication. Um, and so we'll put it out in the wild. We'll let you pull products and prices and, you know, do what you will with them um and then you tell us what you like what you don't like we're data people like we're hardcore data people and so if you need another field or you need something else or otherwise we're you know going to try to limit the payloads as much as possible to make it manageable for people but you know let us know what you need to build your applications and we'll uh, we'll help you build it
0: um yeah because like you mentioned on, on the front end you know you guys have a great content site right you have your podcast you have your newsletter you guys are are plugged into like what's relevant culturally But you're also building now on on the back end, you're talking about building a marketplace essentially, right? Intentionally a marketplace aggregator, I guess,
1: is the point. Because, you know, ultimately, like, you know, when you think about like, we have this media, we have this platform, we have this B2C presence, um, we're establishing credibility, we're establishing awareness. Um, We also feel the need to talk about a lot of these things, you know, because there are a lot of things that as this NFT and digital revolution sort of uh, evolves, you know, we do feel the need to have to sort of, uh, you know, help. Uh, mold the narrative in a lot of cases, because there's just nobody talking about it. And so, uh, you know, I think ultimately we'll do a lot more of that. Um, I've also got uh, an academic partnership with a with a major um, uh, U.S. Uh, university where I'll be uh, co-authoring a, a paper on uh, NFTs, you know, in particular their storage uh, mechanisms and store J and, and IPFS and all this other things and relative value. And so real, real geeky stuff. Um, But ultimately, we're trying to build awareness um, on the top end, but then sophistication in the back end. um, And that sophistication is really what allows this market and data sophistication really allows this market to evolve from where it is to where it could be. And I ultimately do think that a lot of these things like, you know, it's kind of the cart leading the horse. It's like people think these things aren't of value and therefore they don't build things of value around them. Well, I fundamentally disagree. I think that if you build the sophistication, I think the reason why this market isn't institutionalized in in some sense is because it's impossible to do it. But that being said, we're at Newstreet. We're not, we're not thinking that baseball cards are going to be literally like the future of the world. You know, we recognize that baseball cards are essentially an alternative asset. Right. And so uh, a baseball card, a bottle of wine, a piece of foreign art, an NFT, if we're really good at, at the data, the valuations, uh, you know, and all that stuff, you know, we can do a lot of damage across the entirety of the industry, um, not just these cultural artifacts that we're talking about now.
0: Eric, I want to thank you for your time. You, we went some places, I mean, learned something new. Any way that people can get plugged into New Street? What are some things that you, you know, just real quick? Like?
1: Absolutely. Um, the at real News Street, um, at real News Street on Twitter is probably the best. Also, newstreet.com. Uh, sign up for our newsletters. If you want to beta test our APIs, there's a place to, you know, to, to sign up for that. And just uh, don't be a stranger, you know, either any of those channels. Um, I'm actually. And a semi-anonymous CryptoPunk on Twitter, but not really anymore uh, doxed. I'm I'm DefianceWorks, I'm at DefianceWorks on Twitter. I talk a lot of crap about NFTs, but uh, but yeah, pleasure's all mine.
0: I'm going to follow, man. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Bye. That was a great conversation. Getting inside Eric's thought process as a successful collector and a data builder. Right now, New Street's finger is on the pulse of pop culture and the emerging alternative assets markets. It is building on top of that to become a giant database where collectors can gather more information to make the best collecting and investment decisions. As someone who has covered NFTs for about a year, his insights on the NFT space were much appreciated. Thanks to Eric for coming on the podcast to talk about New Street. And as always, a big thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review or follow us on the streaming platform of your choice. Until the next time, take care.